Today's program was brought to you by Le Creuset, made in France since 1925. The first and finest enameled cast iron cookware and a favorite for generations. For more information, visit lecreuset.com. That's L-E-C-R-E-U-S-E-T dot com. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. This week, we're looking at the way labels shape our perspectives on food. I know you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but is it acceptable to judge a wine by its label? There are some labels that I'd say are so bad they're good. As long as your paperwork's in good shape, you'll get a grass-fed label. Tune in to this week's Meat and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's meat plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to In the Drink on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, to talk about all things beverage. When I'm not hosting In the Drink, you can find me at Fausto or sometimes at Celestine, uh, where I write the wine list. I'm the owner of Fausto. Uh, so come visit me over there. Uh, this week on the show, we have winemaker Fred Niger of Domaine de la Coup, or he might prefer wine grower, uh, who I very much wanted to catch while he was in town for the Raw Wine Fair. Domaine Lecou makes some stunning translucent muscadet and a line of separate wines that are delicious. They're singular. They march to the beat of their own drums. I love them. Fred, welcome to In the Drink. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Can you tell us about the uh, the history of Domaine de la Coup? Um, uh, it, it's been one of the top producers of Muscat for a long time um, and a pioneer in, in organic and uh, natural winemaking. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, tell us about how, how it got started. Yeah. Um, Domaine de la Coup, it's about 40 years now of organic and biodynamic farming. It, won, it was one of the first estates to start in France with this kind of agriculture. And um, now everybody is turning green, so it's a good thing. But uh, believe me, 40 years ago it was a, a, a bit weird. Yeah. Um, the previous owner is called Gibosa, and he started in 1972. I mean, with a certification, we are Biodiva certified, we are Demeter certified. And we are obviously uh, organically certified. And uh, I took over from him um, in 10 years ago now. Yeah. Wow. No, I think that um, uh, today many wine lovers will uh, think and understand that Muscadet is a uh, high quality wine that can have mm. terroir at, at least in, I hope so. in our. I imagine our listeners are, are fans yeah. of these wines in a large part uh, due to Guy's work. Um, but what was the what was it like um, it, before uh, in the seventies eighties? I, I imagine that these wines were not so well known or not so well appreciated for being uh, quality um, wines. Some people think Muscadet is just good enough to clean the toilets. <laughs> unfortunately, or, you know, for a gas station or some stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, unfortunately, it's also a mass market wine. There, there is some in Bordeaux, in Côte du Rhône, in Germany, anywhere. Um, but we are a small bunch of winemakers in the area to try to make something different and if you take care of the vines you take care of, of, of 
the, of the wine, I would say, in the cellar, it can easily age during 10 years or more. And my main accounts, I would say, in the world, I export in 40 countries at the moment. It's mainly very fine wine shops, um, Michelin star restaurants and gastronomic restaurants. So that makes sense to say today that Muscadet could be also a drinkable wine. <laughs> and I agree. And I just think it was so brave of, of him, you know, 40 years ago to yeah, say I'm yeah, going to was, invest in... It was a real challenge, especially in my area. Mm-hmm. I won't say it's easier to make some wine in the south of Rhone or in the Sonoma Valley. But what I mean, um, it's very uh, rainy weather. I live in Brittany, it's the west part of France, and uh, many clouds, many rain. It's like if you live in Seattle, mm-hmm. so you can imagine. Um, we used to, there is a private joke, uh, we always say um, it's very fun to live in Brittany if your best friend is a frog. That means if you like raincoats and frog, this is the way to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I've never heard that before. Yeah, but yeah. it's. It, it, it's a real challenge every year, especially in biodynamic farming, because you can't use a lot of copper, you know. We use many planties, we use uh, essential oils to, to prevent from the disease, but it's not so easy every year. Yeah. Can you tell us how you, uh, how you met Guy and uh, a little bit about how that succession went from uh, him controlling the estate to you? Yeah. Um, before to become a winemaker, I used to be a lawyer, and I was a wine, what we can, can call a wine geek. Yeah, okay. So I got a huge collection of, of wines and I traveled everywhere to, to meet people. And Guy was very close from my home. Okay. And I know he was uh, about to retire. So we met. Uh, I sold my company and I go back to school and met Guy. We've been working together for three or four years. Now he retired in 2014, mm-hmm. and it was just you know to follow the path and make something different because I'm afraid I'm not gay. Did you <laughs> did you go to an enology school or was it more the school of of gay and trying to learn everything he could? Do you know? want me to tell you about modern enology? What I think about the modern enology? Yeah. Yes, I do. Actually. Yeah, you you have <laughs> that's to why we're here. <laughs> you have to know the modern energy to avoid it. Mm-hmm. Simply, at the winery, everything is made by hand. A lot of plowing, all is made by gravity. No use of pump, no enzyme, no shitty yeast from the industry, no no batonnage, anything. Yeah, just people used to say, "What's inside the water?" I just say, "Love and grapes." Okay, that's all. And you make a wine called Love and Grapes, which yeah. you can find at Fausto. This, is the, this yeah. is the name of a new mm-hmm. range, yeah, from a winery. Yeah. I love it. It's very, it's very easy to uh, explain that one table side. Why is it called Love and Grapes? Well, there's nothing else in it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, it's very simple. It's very simple. Yeah. So I, I'm still not positive if you did go to analogy school <laughs> after that answer, um, but I, I am. Uh, it sounds to me like you and Guy stayed very close, and he's able to uh, be an we, ongoing mentor. We are still very close. Um, I'm also very close from Jolandon, who is another great winemaker from the area. Um, they are both like my father's-in-law, mm-hmm. and. 
it was like a good lesson of life to to start with them yeah because you don't know everything about wine you know you're still learning every fucking day so so it's you have to be aware of what people uh, can give you as a as an experience can you yeah. tell me something that was very surprising for you when you took over maybe you pictured it would be one way but it was very different what surprised me yes um Maybe the first time I came in the States, you know, uh, in France, Muscadet is not so trendy. And the first time I came in the States 10 years ago, and people begin to, to take some pictures and so, some stuff like that. Yeah, I think there is someone from Bungadi uh, behind me or another winemaker. No, no, you're talking to me. You're talking to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, it was such such a good surprise to, to, to feel the... the Uh, to, to the good feeling about our wines in the states, yeah, yeah, we love we love the wines in the states. Yeah, I think part of the reason is because um, they can be so expressive and not cost as much money as Burgundy. Yeah, so um, the best value are in the Loire Valley at the moment. Yeah, because Burgundy, you know, is very expensive. Although I want to talk about it, but it's one of the best value. Yeah, there is some everywhere in the world. In the world, but I mean in France, the Loire Valley. Um, many many wine geeks make a big focus on the Loire Valley mm. because it's like 20 to 30 bucks for a bottle and uh, it seems very fortunate that you were able to be so close to him I know a lot of people make career changes and uh, uh, but to make your career change and take over such an important estate did it did it take a lot of convincing for Guy did you have to take him out to a lot of dinners like how did How did that go when you said, I think I want to do this? Or was it his idea that, that you should take over? No, Guy was uh, seeking for someone who uh, was really involved in the biodynamic farming. Mm -hmm. It didn't make sense for him to, you know, I didn't buy a company. I just took over from Guy. And this is very important for me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's not just a question of bad money. Just start a story and I have to, to continue this story with my own story. That's why Guy used to make three or four Muscadet, okay, on a sparkling wine, and now uh, the total range of Domaine de l'Ecu is like 35 cuvées. So from four to 35. Wow. And now... Uh, There is a big focus on amphora winemaking because I got more than 120 amphoras at the winery. I think I'm one of the guys who get the most amphoras in, in France. Um, and I also make some beer in amphora. And this year we are about to start a gin also in amphora. Uh, All is in amphora. What did Guy think when um, uh, you suggested this? <laughs> Guy didn't suggest anything because he doesn't understand anything about amphora winemaking but just because it's not his story mm -hmm. and for for him Muscadet area is to make Muscadet mm -hmm. I make some Muscadet I also make a large range of table wine just to have fun you know life is too short to be boring so Now my wife uh, also makes uh, two new cuvées this year in Domaine de l'Ecu, 
and uh, it's increasing every year but yeah you know so when you're sourcing uh, grapes for these other cuvées are they all in your area is it are you working with other growers yeah uh, I get many grapes at the winery. I get some Melon Bourgogne to make Muscadet. I also get some Fal Blanche, uh, usually used for spirit brandies, some stuff like that. I also make some Cap Franc, Cap Sauvignon, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay. I planted some Chena also. And uh, I grabbed some grapes from very close friends of mine. Um, they are all in biodynamic or organic farming. It's only very close friends. So I make some Riesling with Jasmia, I make some Sanso with Henri Milan, I make some some Syrah with David Renault in Cros Hermitage, I make some Vermentino with a crazy guy from Tuscany called Francesco de Filippis. Um, so about 15 different cuvées mm-hmm. from very close friends and very small batches and it's fucking works so well. It's just crazy to, to see how people are happy to taste some, some wines from other winery. It's, it's not my wines. You have to understand, it's all whites. Mm-hmm. And, and the goal, it's, it's written on the back label. You know, it's not a, a big tank of, of wine I, I could buy anywhere in, in the Rhone Valley or whatever. No, no, just small batches. We start the vinification, we choose a parcel, and before the end of the alcoholic fermentation, I send a reefer truck coming back to the winery with a half of a juice and alcoholic, malolactic and aging, bottling, all is at the winery and but it's all cuvee. It's a four ends cuvee. And uh, it's not my cuvee. It's very important for me. It's like a network of very close friends. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it seems that uh at forty five cuvees that uh there's something beyond just having fun at that point because that seems like actually a lot of work to yeah. maintain and yeah. manage. And Maybe I have to stop one day. <laughs> why, why do you think you uh, keep searching for new wines to make? I'm not searching, but you know, I belong to a group called Return to Terroir. It's 200 winemakers from Europe and uh, we are all in organic and biodynamic farming. And you got some very... Uh, Unknown people like uh, in my group, I mean uh, Roman de Conti. Well, nobody knows Roman de Conti. Up and coming. Uh, you got uh, Olivier Umbrecht. You got all the best winemakers from each area in this group, and everybody comes and says, "Yeah, are we going to make some wine together?" And so I'm thinking about Jean Charles Abatucci. I say, "Yeah, we could go with." Uh, Scacciarello, Nieluccio, make a small batch. Okay, super cool. But that needs more for her, more labels, more back labels, more everything. Is you know, I just got two ends and two ends with my wife now. But mm-hmm. it's it's a lot of work. So every time it's it's a vinification, a different vinification, it's a different bottling. It's just a lot of work, but uh, m- maybe it will come very soon with two or three of a new cubby. Do you find that uh, on top of having fun, do you often learn from each other from yeah, these experiences? Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Can you talk about an experience where you've learned something important that's helped you maybe with not the wines that are the our wines, but the wines that are your wines? 
You know now um, I can vinify Syrah, Grenache, Sanso, Richling, Sauvignon Blanc, uh, Malbec, whatever, and they are all different. So you always learn from a different grape. When you always do the same thing, it's just like so boring. So, so every year um, we spend a lot of time together. You know, I, I have to jump to the, to the, to their winery. We speak a lot. It's all good friends. So we we drink a lot of bottles late in For the research, night. For research, it's yeah, very yeah. important. What's the most important? <laughs> um, just to. It's just a question about friendship, that's all. Yeah. Just to, to share. To share. That's it. Um, and someone who used to own a wine bar called Amphora, which that's me. Eh? I used to yeah. own a wine bar called Amphora. Yeah. I'm so curious as to what inspired you to um, start working with Amphora and uh, also to go so big on it, to get so many. Yeah, you know, it's becoming more and more trendy. Um, Just when it became trendy, I got out of my wine bar. That's yeah, that's, that was yeah. Like, what I mean usually, <laughs> some winemakers just get one or two by the side and say, "Yeah, well, no, I, I make some fucking wine in Amphora." Okay, okay. If you want really to work with Amphora, it's another part of a job. It's very, it's, it's like kids, you know. It takes a lot of time, and I started to work with Amphora, but. No, not 10 years ago, but eight, nine years ago, because of a guy called Philippe Bure. And Philippe Bure is a crazy guy from the south of France, maybe 30 minutes from Chateauneuf-du-Pape. And he started to work with Amphora, to start back to work with Amphora in 2005 on BDP. It was not just so easy at the moment because people say, ah, you're making wine in flower pot. Everybody was laughing, now it's changing. But And because of him, yeah, and because we were both in organic, both in biodynamic farming, um, Amphora is just a perfect vessel for our work. Uh, we work both in uh, cosmoculture. Do you know what is cosmoculture? You know, I only know cosmoculture from uh, doing my research when I opened Amphora, my wine bar, yeah. and looking for all of the producers who produce in this way, and I saw Domain Veret on his website, yeah. he, he speaks about it, but so, I'm, I'm not as well-versed as you are. Yeah. Tell us about cosmoculture. Yeah, uh, so uh, now I do the same. We, we are very few to work in this way. Um, the goal is not only to make wine, but to make wine with good vibration, to make wine which is good good for your body okay you have to get a shot and smile mm-hmm. okay forget about the label about the shape of a bottle or whatever just drink good vibration so we work with uh, stones with big stones uh, I think you know what is stone age yeah stone age is not uh, some pieces of stone it's something else okay so it's not stone age because it's very big but uh, we, we, get, we work with stones we work with uh, telluric lines. We work with uh, golden ratio. Do you know the Vitruve man from Vinci? You know, a girl golden is golden ratio. I learned in high school at some point, but yeah, I've but forgotten it a long time ago. Yeah, um, we work with music. Obviously, I always get some music in my cellar. Usually, it's monk songs, just because of the vibration. Uh, I practice uh, magnetism. I can cure people. 
it's it's all my, about my it's, lower it's, back is hurting actually right yeah now. yeah I, you I, help I, me I will give you a finger very soon <laughs> in your well, back, I'm glad in your you guys can see back, that in your back I mean uh, <laughs> <laughs> so do you think the you think the vibrations from the music in some way uh, aids the wines helps the wines yeah for sure, for sure. how people, explain people, this people yeah. people forget about it but uh, often I say to people coming to the winery I say how many red cars did you see while coming here nobody knows Nobody knows because you don't pay attention to red cars or green cars. I don't care, but just a stupid example. But just to say, be open mind, be aware of what is around you. You can call it Feng Shui, Yin Yang, Chakra, God, whatever. We are talking about energy and vibration. And if you know how to use it, how to to understand it, you you can go forward in your life. So it's not 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 just a question of of using amphora because if you make a big sheet in concrete you will make a bigger sheet in in amphora believe me just very exclusive vessel but this vessel made with clay is really artisanal and is a perfect uh, for the work with a vibration it's like a vacuum cleaner you know now I know before you started working with so much amphora, the estate was known for uh, using a lot of concrete. Right? Stainless steel is, is, no, stainless is not something steel that is like happens. a jail. Yeah. Uh, Do you but, see some similarity? Uh, I have to say, this is my truth. This is not the truth. Okay. Yeah. So for me, stainless is just impossible. Stainless, but some people make some great wine in stainless. I'm not surprised to hear you say that after what you just said. But do you see that there's some uh, similarities between concrete and amphora? Or how, how do you think wines behave differently in those two vessels? Concrete is also a very neutral um, vessel. Uh, you can go with uh, concrete eggs. You can go with many things. Uh, you Many winemakers make some wine with concrete eggs. It's not so bad. It's not so bad. You, you you get like a double vortex inside and it makes the, the leaves go up and go down all during veging. It's not too bad. The main difference is uh, there is no exchange with the oxygen. Um, I mean, my amphora are not buried. They are up, like you can find in the south of France or the, in Spain or the north of Italy. And you lose a lot of weight. Some Sometimes people say, yeah, your wine are very expensive. Uh, you know what? Uh, I, I won't say uh, here because you, you can't see what I'm doing with my fingers, but you, you can lose still. I mean, the Angel share is like 20% a year. So go and buy your lobster and you cut 20 to the trash. Uh, you see what mm-hmm. I mean? So the main difference is um, they are both natural, but uh, for my work, Amphora is really better. And uh, the fact that there is a lot of exchange with the oxygen, it changes uh, it change a lot, changes a lot. And uh, I don't work with one shape of amphora. You, you have to understand, I get something like 10 different shapes of amphora. And the same juice in six or seven or eight different shapes will give you eight different wines after one year of aging. That's all. Do you think that... Uh, the future is more in amphora for for your oh. estate, or you'll have uh, some of the wines for in me, concrete for and some in, a, in, in for you. Uh, for me, yeah, yeah. Very some easy. always in concrete and some in amphora. Concrete is just for muscadet because muscadet is perfect with concrete tank, so mm-hmm. we don't have to choose. I also make a 
like something. Uh, it's not a muscadet, but it's table wine, but it's made with Melon de Bourgogne in Amphora and gives you something very, very different. Believe me, just another world. So in the last 10 years, you've introduced so many different exciting wines. Mm. Uh, I think I've had a What will I do of, in the next decade? Well, we'll save that for after our yeah. commercial break. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I'm wondering if, uh, if you've changed at all the way the, the Muscadet is produced. Is that, has that sort of remained true to what uh, Guy has done in the past? Or have you also imparted some of your own idea into that? We are a whole difference. No, I got four kids. They are all different. Mm -hmm. um, I still make some muscadet because I'm very proud to make some muscadet. This is my area, and people have to understand muscadet can age so well, so well. And uh, after ten years of in the cellar, it's like if you want to taste a, a muscadet from Burgundy, but it's absolutely not the same price. So it's, it will never be a muscadet. But believe me, after ten years of cellar, it just great. So I keep on making muscadet like Guy used to, uh, maybe there is less sulfur, maybe there is uh, longer aging, but just because I'm not Guy, I'm Fred, that's all. Mm -hmm. So it's a bit different. Some people like, some people don't like, but well, I like it. I don't really care. What, <laughs> what's, the, what's the oldest uh, good muscadet experience you've had and at what age? 89. 1989. Yeah, 89. Yeah, we had a big testing two years ago in uh, Hong Kong mm -hmm. with uh, with uh, with older uh, vintages, and uh, it was it was very a surprise for for many people. For many people. Yeah. And for you, what's the ideal aging? Ten years? You said a few times. Um, people don't choose to 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 drink now. I mean, uh, some old vintages. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I keep on say saying. Take some bottle by the side and keep it alive. Ninety-five percent of production is, is drunk in the, within a year, but that's life. That's it. You okay. you have to share a bottle. You don't have to collect. So if you can collect some, be a bit by the side. It's perfect. Okay. After we're gonna take a quick break yeah. to hear a word from our sponsor, mm -hmm. and we'll be right back. Yeah. Okay. Today's program was brought to you by Le Creuset, the first to pioneer colorful enamel cookware over 90 years ago. They've been a favorite for generations through the meals and memories the cookware creates and the style it expresses. My name is Kat Johnson. I'm the communications director at Heritage Radio Network. When I'm not making food radio, I'm making food, and my favorite cookware is the eight-quart marine blue Dutch oven that never leaves my stovetop. Before we got our Le Creuset, the cookware we used most often was an antique Griswold cast iron pan. It didn't take long for me to realize how much I'd been missing enamel cast iron in my life. Le Creuset has a superior heat retention of cast iron, but paired with the unparalleled performance and ease of enamel. That means delicious food with easy cleanup. Head to lecreuset.com slash HRN, that's L-E-C-R-E-U-S-E-T dot com slash HRN to see all the new products and amazing holiday gift deals. HRN listeners will get 20% off the new Le Creuset cookbook with the code HRN. All right, we're back with Fred 
from Domaine de la Cour yeah. in the western Loire Valley in mm. France. Make some beautiful wines from Muscadet. And uh, we were just chatting during the break, and I, I did not realize that the amphora-aged Vin de France wines were actually the vines that had been, you can tell us more about vines that had been been, that had been there for a long time, and Guy made them yeah. into a sparkling wine. Yeah, this was the golden nugget. The golden nugget, how do you say? You know what I mean? Yeah, golden nuggets. Yeah, I think so. It depends yeah. what context. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Guy used to planted uh, all these vines just, just to make a, a sparkling wine. That's why some sometimes people test my uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. I make mm-hmm. a 100% Cabernet Sauvignon, and it's so crazy to get some Cabernet Sauvignon in the Loire Valley. Usually, you always blend Cab Sauvignon with I don't know Merlot, Petit Verdot, or some stuff like that, but. Uh, I make one mm-hmm. and I like to when people from the states taste this one because they are always oh is it really Cabernet Sauvignon yeah but it's not coming from Sonova Valley it's not okay and I, he, there is no sulfur so it's just just a capsule yeah it's so funny so I got the same with the Pinot Noir with Chardonnay always blended in a sparkling wine I'm not crazy about sparkling wine so I, I, I mean I love champagne so much but we got so many friends who make so, such great champagne. Okay, so we drink their champagne, and I make some some single parcel wines. Now, that makes sense to me. Now, I want to ask you: um, you're a member of quite a few groups, right? The, yeah. Uh, the Return to Terroir group, but mm. also you have the certifications, the Demeter certification, mm. and organic mm. certification. Mm. Is there something do you think uh, that drew you to be? part of a group maybe as someone who wasn't a winemaker before um, do you think that had anything to do with why you felt the need to uh, be part of so many groups like this you have to be part of something and um, the main goal is not to be in organic or bionic farming the, the, the goal is to share the experience with the other winemakers so everybody is testing some new process at the winery with new uh, I use a lot of uh, essential oils and because my best friend is called Mindyu okay and so it's a disease you know you know what is Mindyu yeah it's a fungus on the, on the grape and and gives you a lot of rot and everybody is fighting against this mildew 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 yeah. yes mildew. mildew sorry for my terrible accent yeah um and everybody is testing some new process to, to fight against it. And to be a part of this group, it just, we drink, we drink a lot of bottles when we give it. But it's also a way to, to speak about our experience and, and to share, to share. This is the most important, sharing. Uh, you mentioned earlier um, copper, and, and something that I noticed came up in a few conversations that I had during <coughs> the raw wine fair, and, and mm. I moderated a panel. And uh, copper, copper and was sulfur, a, a copper, copper and sulfur, sulfur the yeah, big, it's, it's always the same, big copper. hot topics, right? Um, so you know cop- both, both, I, you can use them both for organic and biodynamic uh, growing, um, but it, it no, I'm. I'm I'm Demeter certified, so Demeter certified is like three kilo of copper a year per hectare. It's very few. Someone who is in uh, conventional, I would say, I call it chemistry, but conventional farming, it's just one treatment you can go till. Okay, 
So it's very few, and uh, the couple we use, uh, you, you don't get, you get less than two or three percent in the soils at the end. And you have to understand that the soils and, and all which is living in the soils needs also copper. So it's, it's, it's a false problem. Like the sulfur, people say sometimes, you know, I make about 30 cuvées without any sulfur added, okay? And four or five cuvées with a bit of sulfur. We're talking about 20 to 30 milligrams of total sulfur. I will give you a scale to understand. People in chemistry, it's 210 milligrams of total sulfur for a white wine, okay? Organic is 150. Demeter is 90. And I get what? 20 to 30 milligrams. So, uh, some people say, yeah, you are like a terrorist. No, I'm not a terrorist, you know what? I like better that you test some wine than some vinegar. I don't want to fight against sulfur. I'm not a big fan of sulfur, but if you need a bit of sulfur, just add a bit of sulfur. Because I couldn't agree more. I always feel that sulfur yeah, should be used uh, as the uh, the way a doctor should prescribe yeah. the medicine, the, the minimum effective dose. Yeah, it has sure. to be effective, but, I mean, you, but you shouldn't use more than what's You effective. can't feel it, 20 to 30 milligrams. Yeah. We are talking about total sulfur. Okay, uh, It's so few, you can't feel it. And people just make a big focus on sulfur, and they go in the supermarket, they buy some shrimps, okay, some fucking shrimps. Do you know the total level uh, allowed with the shrimps? It's 350 milligrams per kilo. Can you imagine? And you got the same with a dry apricot, with mm-hmm. all the dried fruit. So stop focusing on the sulfur in wine. Doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, I agree. Sulfur is such a uh, uh, silly uh, conversation, but the, for me, copper right now is, don't, don't is be on dog- the top yeah. of my mind. Like, because don't, be, I, <laughs> don't be dogmatic, uh-huh. you know? I imagine it's very, especially challenging. Maybe you see a, a winemaker from Napa Valley, and it's always sunny and dry there. And you're like, we are in a, a wet place like uh, Seattle, as you said before. It must be yeah. so much harder to Yeah, for the farming after in the cellar, it's exactly the same. Just a question of, you know, sometimes uh, you need one belt and two belts and three belts and four belts. What for? What for? What for? Especially with the red wines, usually you don't need a lot of sulfur. With white wine, it's a bit different because because of you have to prevent from the oxidation. But mainly, uh, I do use sulfur as less as possible, just when I need some. That's all. Sounds like a smart way yeah. to do it. Yeah. Can you tell us about the future for the estate? Are there new collaborations you're excited about? New projects you're working on? Mm, we've already talk about it with some friends uh, one from Greece uh, one from Corsica one from you know uh, I always said okay I will stop to make some new QV and you you met some people you, you meet some people and you say okay what's not starting a new collaboration with you it's fine so no no don't know about the future now it's 35 QV of wine uh, one beer in Ophora one uh, gin coming soon, but I don't know what is the next uh, joke from the winery. I don't know. Maybe. Well, I'll, I'll be looking out for whatever yeah. it is because yeah, yeah. it's coming to the States very soon. More and more, depending on the state, but there is many QV available in California, in Chicago, whatever, in many states. And everything is under the Domaine de la Coup label, or do you have other brands as well? Yeah, uh, the 
the brand is Domaine de l'Ecuve for all the wines from the winery and uh, all the wines with friends is called Love and Grapes. Yeah, okay. After you will see, I get many, many standard glass windows on my, uh, it's like a trademark of uh, the winery, but y you can easily understand where it's coming from because the wax is a different color and it's written on the back of it. There is no fake. It's written, it's made with Henri Milan from patatatatata. So, no fake. That's great. Yeah. All right, Fred, thank you so much for yeah. being on In The Drink. I really appreciate um, having you here. Yeah. Do not forget, a good bottle is an empty bottle. Stop drinking labels or appellation. Yeah. Enjoy. Good advice. Yeah. And uh, I want to thank you to our listeners for joining us for another week. If you like In The Drink and want to help the show out, please rate and review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We'd also love to hear your feedback about the show, as well as any suggestions you might have for future guests. You can always email us at inthedrink at heritageradionetwork.org. I want to thank our engineer, Jeet, our producer, Jasmine Molly, and Rennie Lopez, who did our theme music. Also, a big thanks to Whitney Schubert and Hannah Norwick from Planner Selections. Thank you both for putting this show together uh, with us. And I hope to see you at Fausto. And until next time, thanks so much for listening to In The Drink. For listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.